Hi and happy Tuesday to you. I come to you by some miracle because my laptop's glitched and my phone isn't working and <laughs> I realise how much I depend on these things in order to function. I hope you've had a great Easter. Are you detoxing from chocolate? We've had a very full house and just waved goodbye to some fabulous Greek relatives who brought us much joy and laughter and two foster children who we got very fond of. So a very quiet house having had a very noisy house. I'm delighted to introduce you to somebody new today and her name is Alison and she teaches children how to emotionally regulate themselves in their busy and often overwhelming worlds. As an ex-teacher, she can see the value of giving children these tools, not just for their school years, but for life. I started by asking her how she found herself here because it's a long way from where she started. Yeah, it's quite quite a while with twists and turns. I started off um, working for a bank for 15 years. I worked for um, one of the high street banks that are few and far between these days. Loved it for a time and then it got very sales orientated and just, you know, you feel it's time, time to move on. And I'd been drawn to teaching when I was um, a teenager, but not wanted to sort of commit myself at that point. And I kept getting drawn back to it. And a friend of mine was um, a primary school teacher. So come and see what it's like. And I absolutely loved it. So went back to uni, did a teacher training course and did that for 15, 14, 15 years. And then again, something was telling me, someone, something was telling me, no, this is time to move on for various reasons. You know, as we know from the media, it's a very stressful job being a teacher. It's a fantastic job. It's a very stressful job. And I just got to the stage in life where I was like, do you know what? I really need to do something different, but I don't know what. And we had a coach, the Rats Kids coach, who came into my school. And I just loved the sessions and what she was teaching the children. I mean, I learned so much. It was literally like, and my eyes were totally open to the brain, to things you could do. And it was like the hour of the week that I loved because I could join in with the children and learn with them. So I made a big jump six years ago and decided to resign when everybody was a bit, oh, you're doing what? With a view to doing something, not necessarily what I do now. That was an option and, and did the training in the September, started my own business and it's just gone on from there. And it's just obviously meant to be because it's flourished and I'm so not stressed. <laughs> I've probably worked with over a thousand children, you know, in the last five years, probably there are 2000 and I know it works and I see the impact of it and I see their faces when they see me. Do you work with the entire spectrum of children or do you work with a specific category? You name it, I can work with. <laughs> I, I work in some schools and I'm literally doing a year group for a term every week for 45 minutes to an hour. So that's 30 children in the hall or in the classroom or I work with small groups of children with specific needs, or I work one-to-one, just even doing just sort of 20-minute interventions. A lot of it's nurture, a lot of it is actually just spending time with a child that you're interested in. They've got a positive relationship in the school with someone who talks to them and listens to them and plays a game with them and teaches them techniques of how to manage their emotions. And I think actually that is probably one of the most important things I do for some children, you know, because they've got a connection with someone who actually cares about them. I'm not saying their teachers don't, but just that 20 minutes sometimes with one child, I know makes a big difference. So yeah, and I work with families out in the community, in family homes. So it's a very wide range of children. I think you're right. I don't think teachers are given 
the space in the day no. to do nurturing that most of them would probably like to do I know mm -hmm. that my son was in teaching and you don't get to guide and mentor them and enjoy them spend time with them it's it's punching that information into them isn't it I'm quite disgusting yeah. for some teachers I should yeah. think yeah. But the key piece I picked up there was managing emotions. Mm -hmm. So when you go in, what are you hoping to leave the child with that they didn't have before you came? I talk about a toolbox, giving them a toolbox of strategies that they can use. And the way my suggestions are structured, there's seven steps. So I'll just very quickly go through. We start off moving, then we'll play a game, then we'll do some stretching, some massage, which is just head, shoulders and back with permission, hands as well. Breathing which I think is the most important thing. We can come back to that. Teach them about their brains, teach them about their emotions, and then a relax at the end. And every single one of those is something that goes into their toolbox. And, what, and they will find what works for them. You know, some of them, you, you ask children, I've just changed over a lot of year groups, what's the best thing we've done? The relaxing, the massage, the playing the games, the breathing. You know, they'll all have different ideas but it's strategies that they can use when they're out and about in the real world hopefully as adults as well that can give them that sense of calm and stop things escalating and just give them and raise their self-esteem so it's a toolbox of strategies and, and raising their self-esteem are the two things that I want to do so important so I'd love to go slowly through the breathing yeah. pain and the emotions because mm -hmm. it's so good at the end of the podcast to leave our listeners with something they might be able to do with their own child. I was listening to a podcast the other day and, and I think you can literally trick your brain by slowing down your breathing. Tell me a bit about that. Well, I'm no scientist, but the brain is an amazing part of our body. And by breathing slowly and deeply, particularly breathing out for longer than you breathe in, you are slowing down your vagus nerve. You're sending a message to your brain. You're giving your body the chance to actually just slow down. So your heart rate will drop, your blood pressure will drop. And those parts of your brain that are perhaps been activated will give them an opportunity to settle down. That's a very unscientific explanation. I noticed you said that breathing out for longer than you're breathing mm. in, why is that key? It does something to your vagus nerve in your central system that calms it down. I am not a scientist. Somebody with more knowledge will know a lot more, but that is the key. So you do a lot of this breathe in for four, breathe out for six. As adults, that's a lot easier. With the children, I just work on breathing slowly. Do you want me to show you a technique that I think yeah. the best one, well, the one the children seem to remember the most is finger breathing. You may have come across it before. So it's really easy because you just need your hand and a finger. So what you do is you trace your fingers and as you trace up you breathe in and as you trace down you breathe out obviously as slow as possible so just for the listeners there Alison has put up her hand flat towards me and she's literally going from her wrist tracing the outside of her thumb out as you go down yeah now, given that our fingers are as long on one side as they are on the other, how does that allow for you having a longer breathe out? Or am I being a bit too technical here? You're being a bit technical, to be honest. <laughs> with, the, with the children, I just get them to do that. And I think as long as they're doing something that yeah. is slowing down their breathing, it will work. The theory is the longer the out breath is, the better. We, we do do some breathing where it's, you know, breathe in for four, breathe out for six. But particularly if you're worried, anxious, angry, actually counting could complicate it so yeah. I think as long as you're doing something and the beauty of this method is no one needs to know you're doing it I'm making it really obvious 
So you could sit with your hand in your lap. You could be in a classroom situation. You could be in a car. You could be at home. You could be in a waiting room. And no one, you know, you're fiddling with your hands. No one knows what you're doing. And that's what I like. It's the subtlety of it. Because yeah. you don't always want to draw attention to yourself that actually you need something. And I can totally testify that it works. I know that my sister taught me a few years ago when she was going through a horrible divorce, just mm -hmm. breathing in, breathing out. And it seems so oversimplified, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. But it really changes just how you can go into a difficult conversation, yeah. a hard day, something that's causing you anxiety. So that's brilliant. So you start off with the breathing, you've, mm -hmm. well, you've done the massaging and stuff, then you yeah, do yeah. something. So tell us what you know about the brain. I know that my listeners will be familiar with parts of the brain. Tell us what you're going to add to that. So we talk about the parts of the brain as in animals, because it's just really child friendly and it makes sense to children to imagine it. So the amygdala, which is the part of your brain, just where your skull and your spine meet, we call it the meerkat brain because the meerkats, if you watch, the role of two or three of them is sitting up, looking around all the time. So they're looking out for danger. So what that is what that part of your brain does for you. It looks out for danger. And when it doesn't feel safe, it's going to do something to get you out of that danger. Run, freeze or fight. So if you're crossing the road and a car comes out of nowhere, you're probably going to run faster than you've ever done before your heart will be racing you'll have adrenaline pumping around your body because your meerkat brain has kicked in and made you do that you might freeze and it does happen it's not helpful if a car's coming towards you but we can't control what our meerkat brain does sometimes the biggest thing for me as a teacher was the fight because I would be sitting at lunchtime and a dinner time supervisor would bring a child to me the sort of child you would never put a foot wrong and say this child's just punched someone this child just swarmed really badly on the playground. And I'd be like, before I knew this, I was like really shocked. I'm like, I can't believe you've done that. You're going to be in so much trouble. Wait till your mother hears, obviously in a more nurturing way. But you know, that's the teacher instinct is this child's done something wrong. And the child would be like a rabbit in headlights. I don't know what happened. And it's because their meerkat brain, their amygdala didn't feel safe. Perhaps somebody come up and said something or pushed them or got too close or triggered something that might've happened to them in the past from a trauma point of view. And suddenly they need to get away from that situation and they're going to kick and they're going to punch and they're going to do whatever they need to do to get away. And I just went, wow, this mm. explains so much. And when you talk to children, you can see the light bulb will go, that's happened to me. That's happened to my friend. I think you're absolutely on the money. And the interesting part about that, I mean, it's survival, isn't it? But mm. when I had... I, just talking about the freeze part, which you don't see quite so much. But many years ago, when we lived in Australia, we had a swimming pool. And people would come over. Our children were quite small. And from time to time, somebody's child would fall into the pool. Mm. Nobody died. It has a good ending, this story. <laughs> but the first two times I, it happened, I was fascinated. We all froze. And there was that moment when these poor child sort of going blub, blub, blub and going under. And we're all just standing there. And eventually somebody would hurl themselves in. And I can remember telling myself when that happens, just throw yourself in without thinking about it. And it was almost like I had to retrain. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, I did lose a couple of watches like that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a losing child, though, isn't it? Let's face it. You would think if your child falls in the pool, the last thing in the world you're going to do is freeze. And when I was in an interesting car accident with my son and the woman behind's car had tipped and landed on its head, wow. I got out of the car and I looked around and it was as though it was a photo everybody just was standing still so you're right that is one of the things that people do as a, uh, yeah as a teacher as well the other things that I used to see children doing that suddenly ex that explained was the running out of the classroom 
and they're hiding under tables and chairs because hiding is another one. It's that sort of instinct. And, and, and I was like, I can just remember sitting in the classroom, the hall with my TA, and we just looked at each other and went, and I realised I was, I was on meerkat mode, waking up at three o'clock in the morning, adrenaline pumping, haven't done this, haven't done that, need to do this, need to do that. And what makes me sad is that so many teachers don't, don't know about this. So to me, it's, it's, it's like the trauma and attachment training that I did after I left teaching. As teachers, you're taught, say, you go over safeguarding every year and you do your, your EpiPen training every year. I hope it's happening, though I doubt it. For me, that knowledge about the brain and the trauma and attachment training should be, you need to know this. You need to know this to understand the children you're working with and to help them. And what would you have done differently had you understood that in your teaching years? I think I would have been less judgmental for a start. The consequences would have been different. And I would have taken the time out to talk to that child to find out what had gone on and also to explain what had happened to them so that they understood. And that brings me on to the other part of the brain that we talk about, which is the prefrontal cortex, which is all around your forehead. It's quite a big part of your brain. Mm -hmm. And we call it the owl brain because, you know, sort of the imagery around owls is wise, calm, measured, don't rush into anything, clever. And that's the part of your brain that controls your decision making, your critical thinking, the observation. And that is whenever we are doing anything that calms down our meerkat brain, like the breathing, like the massage, like the telling yourself I am safe, telling yourself I am okay. That is you engaging that part of your brain to talk to and calm down the owl brain, the amygdala. And a child actually summed it up. I was halfway through explaining this to some year sixes once. And the kid, this child said, can I just stop you, miss? What basically we're saying is you need your owl to calm your meerkat down. And I went, yeah, he went, I've got it. You know, <laughs> When you say you tell yourself I am okay, mm-hmm. will a child believe that if they're in a scary situation? I think if you train them, affirmations, which is obviously those positive statements, is something that I use all the way through my relaxation sessions. And I think it is hard for children that maybe haven't been told that they are loved or or don't feel safe. But again, going back to the brain, the more you tell yourself positive things, the easier it will become to believe it. And it's coming back to that positive thinking, negative thinking thing, which again, scientists have looked into and people who are more positive tend to be healthier, tend to be more successful in life. Just cutting into our podcast this week to say I've been thoroughly enjoying my 15-minute chats with some of you, my listeners. It's a little perk of buying the book Parenting for Life. And someone said to me recently, I dip into your book every day and our family is changing for the better. So thank you for that. It's lovely to hear. Connected Parenting boundaries without the drama if that appeals to you you can buy the book at a discounted price through my website you can jump onto a 15 minute chat about your family and something that you'd like to change for the better in family life or you can book yourself some sessions that will change the trajectory of family life and leave your children with a legacy of peaceful connected parenting Now back to Alison and how to help your children deal with those big emotions. I just think it's really important to constantly reinforce to them that self-belief. And it's hard because I hear children saying, because we do our stretches, I am amazing, I am brave, I am positive. And you'll hear out the corner of your ear, I am not. And they will say that. And it might be because they're trying to be a bit rebellious, but then I'll go, you know, please try not to say that because 
you're telling yourself you're not brave. The most important, well, there's three that I say in every single session. I am safe. I am loved. I am beautiful. Because I just think if they can think about, particularly that I am safe, they may not be safe sometimes, but at least if they're in my session, hopefully I'm encouraging that feeling of safety for them. And so is that what you call your prefrontal cortex training? Is that what yes. you're doing there? Yeah. Okay, so what piece are you doing with the fight, flight and freeze? All the strategies, basically, you know, I'll keep talking about the meerkat brain to the children and this is going to help it. So, you know, it, and it's about recognising the triggers of when they're starting to get worried, because sometimes it's when you're in the middle of it, it's really hard to suddenly pull back and go, I need to do my breathing because of the, the function that that part of the brain has. It's immediate. It's instant. And I've worked with children one boy in particular who could go from naught to 100 in literally a split second in terms of anger. And it was trying to get him to say, right, what do you notice in your body when you start to feel hands will get hot? So it's like, as soon as you feel your hands getting hot, try and do the breathing then. That, which is why the practicing is so good. A bit like driving a car, you know, you don't get shown the controls and get sent off. You have to practice in life in many things before you can actually do it in real life. It's those neural paths again, you know, it's there when yes. they need. And that's a good analogy, actually, because when you first start to learn to drive, you have to say mirror, signal, manoeuvre. We get in the car now. We never say that until we teach our own children. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me some of the other signs that a child could learn about themselves to be looking for as kind of pre-warning signs. A lot of it's physical in the body, so it could be, and everyone's different, you know, butterflies in the tummy. It could be feeling hot. It could be not being able to concentrate, feeling fuzzy-headed. It could be going quiet. Notice, you know, it's about understanding yourself, which as adults we need to do as well. You know, I've come to realise if I'm worrying, if I'm worrying about someone else, I get it in one part of my body. If I'm worrying about myself, I get it in another part. You know, that feeling of heat, talking quickly. So it's about them trying to understand themselves and noticing what it is that happens to them when they're starting to get those big feelings, as I call it. And when you get those sorts of feelings in yourself, will you immediately go into your breathing or will you be talking to yourself? What are are your sort of auto reactions? A bit bit of both, I think. I do try and talk to myself. I I live just outside Birmingham and I had to drive into Birmingham the other week at night but there was a lot of road works and I just got myself into a bit of an anxious state. So I was going, right, what would I tell the kids? So I was literally driving along going. And as soon as I started to do that out breath, I could feel it. And I was telling the children and they went, I said, what do you think I did? And they said, finger breathing. And then one of the children went, no, she probably didn't do that because she had to drive. You know, It's a tool yeah. for life, isn't it? Well, that's the way I look at it. And, and this is why I feel it's so important that you know, schools in particular engage with this because if you think about if every child grows into an adult who's got a set of strategies to manage their emotions, the potential impact is huge on the mental health care, you know, the needs, the NHS, the prison system. You know, if everybody who had trauma understood themselves a bit more and the people around them understood them, because most of the people that are in the judicial system, there's a reason underpinning it as to why they've done what they've done or why they react in the way that they react. And I think if you can understand yourself better and you've got ways to manage it, it's going to help you throughout your life. Totally agree. There's always the thing beneath the thing, isn't there? And that's the part. Layers. 
So now that we've heard those different aspects of helping a child, how could you pop that into a session? Let's say there's a parent listening to this and they think, oh, I'd like to teach my child some of these tricks. What could you walk us through that will be a good potted session for a parent to teach a child? So breathing, coming up with fun ways to do big, deep breathing. You can do hot chocolate breathing. You can do flower breathing. You can do candle breathing. Hot chocolate breathing. So it's basically holding a, you've got, you've got a cup of hot chocolate in your hands. It's too hot to drink. You need to blow it to cool down. So it's the gentle breathing because we talk about if you blow it too hard, you might burn yourself. So it's the breathing in through your nose and then slowly breathing across the hot chocolate and then taking a sip. And this is the fun bit making a lot of noise and then umming, but keeping the um going for as long as possible mm. they like it so that's one yeah. thing you can do they do love the massage and what we do is we will tell a story on, on each other's head shoulders and back and you know and that's a lovely thing to do for connection between children and adults because you can do it to each other and obviously a big thing is permission you know you don't touch anybody without asking and it's only the back of the head the shoulders and the back if they're okay with that but the pizza one is great so, you know, you roll out your dough, you knead your dough, you chop up your onions. Yeah, they can choose their toppings. You scatter. Obviously, you need to cut your pizza. You know, and it's just really nice. Just for clarity, she's doing all the hand movements of rolling and kneading and sprinkling and scattering. <laughs> so each one of our massages, um, we end up, we rub our hands together, really help get that pizza oven going. Put your hands on. I talk about your friends back, close your eyes and just send some love and kindness through to them. Imagine the pizza's heating, heating up and cooking. And that's just a really nice, quiet moment as well. So you're actually having a lovely connection. You're having a bit of fun. But as well as that, it's getting those chemicals. And in a home setting, unless your children are absolutely at each other like cat and dogs, and actually, even if they are, yeah. that can be rather a sweet thing to do among siblings. Exactly. I was doing a hand massage, paired hand massage with um, a group with parental permission, because I used hand cream as well. And, and that was lovely because, you know, again, it's just the rubbing the cream on, massaging it into the palms, using your fingers to just run up and down. And then we did a hand sandwich where you sandwich the person's hand. And again, just close your eyes. Really nice. And the next week when I came back, it was just before Mother's Day. So I was like, oh, this is a nice one for Mother's Day. Actually, what a lot of the children were saying was, I did it with my brother. I did it with my sister. These are the same brothers and sisters that they're not, they're using their breathing for normally. Because quite often you'll say, does anyone use their breathing this week? My sister pushed me. My brother said this, you know, and actually it was lovely to have that positive impact of, I did it with my brother or sister. One little girl said, I did it to my year, my, my sister who's two, I've taught it her so she does it to me. And I was like, that is fabulous. Doing it to babies. One, one child's mum was pregnant, so she did it on her tummy. You know, and you just think, that, how positive is that, that those moments between the children and the parents where they're supporting each other and having a positive connection. It's just amazing. And those words as well. So do you give them their scripts? I'm safe, I'm loved, I'm beautiful. Or do you ever ask them to sort of come up with what would you love someone to say to you? They're very good at saying, actually, I like the way you've just said that. I'm going to pinch that. What would you like someone to say to you? <laughs> I've never actually turned it that way. And it's interesting because we, I have star cards and they are like beautiful, bright coloured cards. And each one is a, today I'm a beautiful star. And on the back it says, today I will make each moment valuable. Or I am an amazing star. Today I will do something fabulous. And they absolutely love it. And it started in lockdown, actually. 
that I would just say to them, I go around in the circle, tell me to when to stop and I'll pull a card for you. And they every week they'll go, are we doing the cards? Are we doing the cards? So they love it. It's saying things to each other is great. But quite often when it comes to say, right, I want you to say something positive about yourself, you can see the shutters come down and some children will physically withdraw, physically, you know, and that is hard because actually it's easy to say things nice about people around us, but to say it to ourselves. So that's something I keep chipping away on. I'm going to use that line. What would you like someone else to say about you? But actually saying it, coming up with something themselves, about themselves. What we do in a situation where someone's finding it hard is who can help me? And the children are desperate to say something about their friend, which is really positive. And there's a little step forward as in, well, look at all these people want to tell me I'm amazing, want to tell me I'm a good friend, want to tell me I'm good at this. You have to chip away at it. It's so positive. We do affirmations around the kitchen table sometimes. And sometimes it's uncomfortable if we've got a new foster child and they're like, oh, this is really weird. But they love it. Yeah. Tell me, where does gratitude fit into all of that? Or is that a whole separate thing? It's, It's underpinning it. It is underpinning it, although it is something I think you need to stop and actually talk about and acknowledge, you know, I am what I'm grateful for. You know, and a lot of the younger children also, they're grateful for the PS4s and they're, you know, they're, uh, <laughs> but actually when you, because I'll, I'll pass something around, whether it be a meerkat or I've got a purple heart, tell me something you're grateful for. And a lot of them, friends and family, spending time with my family, but I get, you have to keep going back to it. So it's handy, isn't it, to give them these animals? I mean, I always think of the amygdala as a blowfish that kind of blows up and stops your common sense getting up to your mm. frontal lobe. And I think that's useful for parents, but for children to know that, oh, I'm going into meerkat mode. I need to come back into my owl mode. Mm. I need to do some breathing for that. What can I say about myself that would help me to feel secure? They're so simple, but obviously from your years of practice, they do Mm. make a difference. And do you find after you've worked for a term with children, you can see a difference or you're hearing from the teachers that there's a difference? Yeah, I mean, even just six weeks. If I'm working with a family, I'll say a minimum of six weeks. Yeah, they will see a difference. And the thing is, well, a head teacher said to me when we were talking last year about rebooking and about money, she said, I was putting my prices up a little bit. She said, I'm not interested in how much you put your money up by Alison because the impact to me is the impact you have on our children. That's that's the value for me. But you, it's hard to measure because I don't know until something pops up. I was sat in Costa the other week and um, a girl in a, in a high school uniform came in. And the next thing is she appears at my side. Hello, Alison, with her mum. I still do my finger breathing. It really oh, works. I've told it my mum and I was just like, it just makes my heart like, and it's like, 18 months since I'd seen her and she probably hadn't had proper sessions with me for about at least two years and do you teach the parents and the teachers the language around the brain and the meerkat so that they can reference it in emergency moments with their kids I do try to it depends on the school as to whether the teachers are in with me because quite often I'm used for PPA cover so the teachers are planning and marking and doing all the other things they need to do and I'm in with the children well done you for going back and looking at the important stuff because actually a child that does well at school isn't necessarily a happy child. And Yes, that's that's very true. You know, a lot of the children that are sort of pushed through the system, you know, and are very academic, it's, it's the quiet ones sometimes, the ones that get on with it, that actually are the ones that are bubbling underneath are all sorts of things. And unfortunately, those are the sort of children that quite often get missed because there's children that are making themselves more obvious that they've got needs. Yes, quiet ones often look emotionally well-adjusted. And- yeah. One of the questions I'll get asked is, do you just work with children with special needs? Just with child, problem children? I'm like, no. 
any child needs this every adult needs you know it's about self-awareness it's about understanding yourself and having strategies to manage you know who knows when you're going to need, need in life you know life is tough we all go through you know things happen mm-hmm. Alice and I have found that really really helpful so you've really given a gift this morning thank, thank you. you I'd love to ask is there anything that you'd want to add or that you would want to say that you don't feel we've covered I think we've covered it all I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to share it and I just think the more that we can do to help ourselves and our children in terms of understanding ourselves and supporting ourselves when we need help with managing emotions the better well said so I'm going to ask you because you're on the courageous mama podcast what's a courageous thing that you've done in your life I think changing career twice (laughs) with a mortgage yeah, I mean, I, I left ranking and went back to university for a year to become a teacher. And a lot of people were like, whoa, what are you doing that for? I mean, my parents, I didn't even, because my mum was a warrior. I was quite sneaky. You did your techniques. <laughs> yeah, she did, actually. She did need my techniques. I knew for about nine months and I didn't tell her till like six weeks before because she'd have worried. But I did it and it worked and it paid off. And again, leaving teaching, I was on a good salary <laughs> into an uncertain future. But actually... With the support of my husband and my friends and family, taking the plunge when you know something isn't right for you, doing something to change it that's quite a big life change is a really courageous thing to do. But I would say if it feels right, do it. That is courageous because that's emotionally quite scary. Mm. And it sounds like you're never short of work. Yeah. I mean, I have to consciously set boundaries in terms of time and it's tempting because when you're self-employed but actually people respect that the schools respect that and it's for my well-being and it's a big investment that those schools are putting in me particularly budgets as they are now I am really grateful for the fact that they are investing in me for the benefit of their children well it sounds like you practice what you preach and it sounds like the outcomes speak for themselves so they're a worthy investment Brilliant. Well, I'll put all the links in the show notes. And thank you again for your time and for your intel. It's been fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. I loved hearing Alison's heart for the kids. I was really interested by the breathing bit, the exhale being longer than the inhale, and wondered, is that what a sigh is? Ah. I need to find my balance. Anyway, I'm glad she took that big leap. If you feel that that could be your next step, Alison would be very happy to chat to you. Her link's in the show notes. Relax kids are all over the country and I think they're looking for more practitioners at the moment. I liked the fact that once Alison was registered with them, she didn't have to commit to heavy ongoing investments as some organisations make you do. I'm sure there are similar organisations out there as well. This isn't a paid partnership or anything. But if you're a teacher and you can do with some emotional support for your children, do look them up in the notes below. And I'll see you next time.